lost his head. But the king turns around and he says, that's really interesting. I'm going to help you. Nehemiah, I'm going to help you. You go back to this place. You go back to Jerusalem. And not only you go back, I'm going to give you all the resources to do it as well. I mean, what an answer to prayer that must have been. It just says this, um, Nehemiah 2 verse 4, the king said to me, what is it that you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven. This is the heart moment of, ah. Oh. And I answered the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. The other thing that you need to realize in this moment is Nehemiah had no idea what he was doing. This guy has no clue about how to rebuild a city. He's a cupbearer to the king. He's not an engineer. So this is, this is one of those moments where God breaks in and he just says, I have a task for you. You are completely ill-equipped, but I'm giving you this to do. And do you know what? As I was preparing this this morning, I, I just felt, I felt that there might be three different people um, from different stages of life that the Lord really wanted to break in this morning. I felt that there was a mum here who's been at home with the kids and the Lord has been stirring you. I talked about this moment where you can't get something off your mind. And I felt like there might be a mum in here that's been at home with the kids and you're entering a new season of life and the Lord's calling you to something. He's already started calling you. And you're like, oh, I'm not sure. I've not, I've not been doing, I've been out. I've been looking after the kids. I'm not sure that I can do this. And I just, I just felt like the Lord wanted me to um, say, I, I think the Lord's in it. So anyway, I'm going to keep moving. And I'll come back to the other two later. So we come to chapter three. Now, chapter three is an interesting chapter. When I read it and I realized that I had, I had chapter three, because you go through a book, you're like, wowzers, this is going to be interesting. So I'm, I'm not sure whether I'm going to read the whole thing. We're going to see how we get on, but you'll get the feel of it as we go. There are some mega names in this chapter. So I realized when I got to the first word that I wasn't sure that I could. So Elishabib, Eliashib, we're going to go with Eliashib. The high priest and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and as far as the Tower of Hanel. The men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zachar, son of Imri, built next to them. The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hassaniah, and they laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Merimuth, son of Uriah, the son of Hazkoz, repaired the next section. Next to him, Meshuzalem, son of Berechiah, the son of Meshebabel, made repairs. And next to him, Zadok, son of Barna, also made repairs. The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa. Yes, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to work under their supervisors. The, Jes <laughs> the Jeshanai gate was repaired by Joda, son of Pashia, and Meshalim, son of Bashodia. <laughs> they laid its beams and put its doors with their bolts in place. Next to them, repairs were made by men from Gibeon and Mizpah, Metaliah of Gibeon and Jadon of Merononoth, her places under the authority of the governor of Trans-Euphrates. Uziel, son of Hariah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired the next section. And Hananiah, one of the perfume makers, made repairs next to that. I'm going to skip a little bit because it's quite a long chapter. I'm going to go down to verse 17. Next to him, the repairs were made by the Levites under Ruim, son of Barney. Beside him, Hashabiah, rulers of half the district of Kelia, carried out repairs for his district. Next to him, 
Do you get the idea? The point is, the whole chapter is like this. So feel free to go and read the rest of the chapter. But what I, I wanted to point out a couple of things that just to dive into about why this chapter is really inspiring. Because it would be easy. It's a bit like sometimes when you read the genealogy at the beginning of Matthew. And you're like, you're doing your quiet time and you're sitting there. You're like, I'm going to read through Matthew. And you start it off. You're like, wowzers. I've got halfway through and I'm still in chapter one. But name after name after name. But what is beautiful and inspiring about this chapter, especially if you read it carefully, is that both men, women, and children are working together. So this is what's happening. It talks about the daughters in one place in the chapter. And so you have representatives from virtually every part of society. And you have one phrase repeated over and over and over throughout the text. And it's this, next to him or them. Next to him or them. And I don't, know, I don't know whether it's highlighted in the text as we were reading. Was it highlighted or? No, that's fine. But um, so you've got priests and laity working together. You've got groups from different towns. You've got groups from different classes. You've got groups from different trades. You've got rulers and workers and goldsmiths and merchants and perfumers. There's a perfumer in there as well. It's like awesome. And most scholars have noticed that this is inclusiveness is a part of a progression in the Bible. So what happens, if you read the beginning, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, often what happens is that God works through one person. So you've got Moses or you've got David, you've got a, you've got a mighty person of faith that God is working through. And God predominantly works through that one person. So taking Moses, for example, it feels at times as if Moses is carrying the entire nation on his back, doesn't it? As you read the story, time after time, the people go astray and they quickly forget God's commands and even for more quickly forget their own promises to obey. And time after time, God says, stand aside, Moses. I'm going to take care of them. I'm going to, I'm going to, I want to get involved. And time after time, Moses puts himself between the, um, the people and God, as if saying, no, don't do that. Take me out instead. So Moses almost stands as this representative in the middle. When we come to Nehemiah, so we're further through the Bible by this point, we see something different. God's people serving and working together. Here is a task that the clergy, you know, the, the one person can't do by themselves. Suddenly that this is an all-in moment for the people of God. It's like everybody is called on in this moment. Men, women, children, everything, every, whatever you've done, it's like we are going to rebuild the walls. And so Nehemiah, this, this moment in chapter 2, and it must have been, so not only has Nehemiah had this dream to go back to Jerusalem, but it must have been this vulnerable moment is, is anybody going to build with me? Because it's not taken for granted. He could have gone all the way back and said, right, guys, we're going to rebuild the walls. And everybody literally just sat there and laughed at him because they, they had tried to rebuild the walls before. This wasn't the first time that they were rebuilding the walls. And so Nehemiah would have had this nervousness of it. Are people going to be in? But he managed to galvanize everybody. And so what had taken them over, you know, 70 years, 100 years, suddenly they managed to do in 52 days. It is not to be underestimated. They rebuilt the wheels in 52 days. Why? Because every single person got involved. That's what changed it. And that's why this phrase, next to him, next to them, next to him, next to them, I think it says it about 15 to 20 times. It just keeps going and going. Everybody's involved. 
Now, just coming back to us within this context, this progression continues not just through Nehemiah, but then we move into the New Testament, and suddenly it's that Jesus commissions us all. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and commanding them to do everything, asking them to, uh, to keep doing everything that I've commanded them to do. There's this moment in Acts 28, and basically, we are all ministers. This is the releasing moment. We, we use that phrase, everybody gets to play. This is the all-in moment, and this is the picture. So there's this progression from the one person through to the people of God, from one person with one nation, and then it broadens out to being everybody to to reach the rest of the nations. That's what we have in Acts 28. It's saying, go unto all the world. Go and tell everybody about me. And so this is the progression. This is really important when we're reading the Old Testament, because sometimes it's really easy just to go into the Old Testament, read it, and be like, well, what is that about? But there is a progression going on through of, from the Old Testament into the New Testament about the way that God works, and it changes through one people into everybody becomes a minister, and then, the, and then they are called to go and reach the rest of the planet. Fairly big mission, when you think about it. So, We're all ministers. But just as Jerusalem could not be rebuilt just with Nehemiah, but required the work of all of the people, so Paul says over and over that everybody has gifts. Everybody's different, that we need every person, we need every gift, that we are the living stones. This This is the analogy that Paul uses, being built into the temple of God. Isn't that an amazing picture? Living stones being built into the people of God, and there are no superfluous stones. So there are no accidental stones that every one of us, if you were to imagine, you know, this picture of the walls being rebuilt. Well, it's it's kind of a visual picture of what the Lord wants to do with us as a community. What the Lord wants to do with the church as a community is that every person is a brick. Every person is a stone that plays their part. The wall cannot be built because there might be somebody over you and under you. Every single, and I don't believe that it's an accident. If this is your community and this is your church and this is the place that God has asked you to be here, you are not here by accident. That means that there is something for you to do. We are not the kind of church that believes in the couple of people standing up the front and doing everything. I I often use this, this example of the Pareto principle, which is the idea in the virtually all places in the world, you have 20% of people doing everything, and 80%. It's the 20-80 principle. We, I don't like that, because the picture is that if this is your community, then there is a part for you to play. For some of you, you've actually been out for a while, that you've been sitting on the sidelines, and I feel like today is kind of a galvanizing moment. So some of you might be sitting there going, do you know, but the reality is there's not much that I can do right now. There is something that you can do right now. Even if, you know, physically you're struggling, you can pray. You can pray for this community. So I believe that, the, you know, that picture of what happened in Bow Down is I believe that the Lord, we, we need to get on our knees as a church. And so you might be sitting there going, do you know what? Physically, I can't do anything right now. That is not true. We want to commission you as an intercessor. We want to say, do you know what? You might not be able to move much, but you can pray. And you can come against the powers of darkness because the Lord has a role for you. And so for every single person, what I want to communicate today is that the Lord has a role for you, that the Lord has a place for you, that there is a brick, that there is a part of the wall that the Lord is asking you to build, that only you can do it. 
that there are certain people that only you can reach. There are certain things that only you can do. That God has made all of us incredibly unique and amazing. And so sometimes we sit there and we disqualify ourselves and we're like, oh, I, I can't. Think of Nehemiah. Whenever you think of disqualifying yourself, think of the story of Nehemiah and sit there and think, he should have disqualified himself in that moment. But God had given him everything that he needed to do in order to achieve that goal, hadn't he? And so this is the, one of the most inspiring stories of God will use somebody who is faithful. That's all that God asks for us is for us to be faithful. He doesn't ever ask for us to be successful. It's a quote by Mother Teresa. He just asks us to be faithful. He doesn't ask us to be successful. And I love that because suddenly it brings the bar down. And so it might be, okay, Lord, what does it look like for me to be faithful in this next thing? What is it that you're asking me to do? I'm running out of time because I've done a massive tangent. But I want to talk, I, as I come in to finish, there's this idea I want to share with you. Gathered and scattered. So if you think about it, and this is, this, I've taken this from Alan Scott, who is a genius. He's written a brilliant book called Scattered Servants. There's two parts to the church in some senses. There is the gathered environments. There is the gathered bit where we come together. This is a gathered moment. The small groups where we gather together. The kids that are gathered together right now. That is the gathered church. It is massively, massively important. It is so important that we meet together as Christians. It talks throughout Scripture about the one another's. It talks about us loving the bride of Christ. We, we sang about it earlier, and I believe in the holy church. Do you know what? The church doesn't always get it right, but it is Jesus' plan, this church. And so there's the gathered aspect of us meeting together, and I love that. And then we have what we've been doing. We've been talking about being kingdom carriers, haven't we? And this is the scattered aspect. This is the scattered servants. That the Lord has called each one of us into the community that he's called us into, where we live, the workplace that we are, the student that we're called to be, and that he asks us to be scattered servants in those environments. Now, the danger is, what happens is, we either go completely scattered, and so we're like, I'm a scattered servant, and I don't really need the church, and that happens is that people go right over here and they're like, yes, but I'm out there. And it's true. But are you feeding from the power of Jesus? Are you being filled up by the Holy Spirit? Are you standing shoulder to shoulder with other people? Because you need that. But on the other side, you need, so we need the gathered and we need the scattered. And sometimes it's this tension between those two things. If we go too far one way, if we go too far scattered, we often get isolated. And then suddenly we're like, oh, do you know what? I'm out of community. I'm out of relationship. My shoulder's not next to any, anybody. That is a dangerous place to be. The other danger is that we become so gathered that we only ever go to Christian things and that we begin to hide from the world. It's like, oh, that terrible world out there is too scary. No, we are called to be a light in the world. So what we have to do, and each one of us in different seasons has to hold this tension between being gathered and being scattered. And it looks different for all of us. But we need to make sure. And so my question to you today is, have you got that right? Have you got that tension right between being gathered and scattered? And I wanted to finish today, because um, one of the things that we're also talking about is um, joining a team today. Um, because I reckon that about currently, I think 50% of our congregations across our sites serve. So that would mean 50% of people 
doing the refreshments, doing. What I would love to do is I would love to get that to 80%. And I'll tell you why. I'd love it to be 80% because there are 20% of people that should always be with us, hopefully, who, are, who don't have faith, who are in a journey with Jesus and they don't know where they are in that relationship. And so we always want there to be space for people who don't, you know, it's like, forget about that. We just want you to find out who Jesus is. So that's 30% of people that we would love to invite in today to say, we would love you to join, to find your part of what it means to be part of this community, to find your space, to be your brick. And so there's a number of things that I just wanted to talk about. Um, We are so blessed. If you serve today, I just wanted to say a massive thank you. Who is it who was on setup this morning? Are they in here? There we go. Honor you. Thank you for coming early this morning. But for so many people, do you know what? Last week we had 85 children not in this room. And so there's probably 20 to 30 people out with the kids today serving serving the kids. We have been so blessed. Let me tell you something so amazing. Over the last two years, 50 of our children have given their lives to Jesus. I think that's pretty amazing, isn't it? I don't think you were quite excited enough about that. I'm going to go for that again. In the last two years, 50 of our children have given their lives to Jesus. We're getting there. I'm not going to go again. That is amazing. I never do kids' work. It's not because I don't, I actually love it, but because I'm called to do what I do. I am so grateful for every single person that teaches my children about Jesus. I just wanted to say a massive thank you to you. I am grateful that when I walked in today, the welcome was extraordinary. I don't know whether you had that today, but I walked in and I was, uh, the, I, one of the Kissicks was on the front door, I think it was Joey was on the, on the front door welcoming. I was like, I feel so blessed that I've been so welcomed into this space. I saw the guys going across to the car parking team. I saw that I was grateful for the person that gave me a cup of tea this morning. That's what it means to serve one another. That is a picture. We are called to be a community that serves one another. So we're called to be serving in gathered environments and and going into the world as well. Um, So... One of the things that we're doing this morning is after the service, we have got all of the ministry leaders downstairs in the cafe bar, and they're just going to tell you about their ministries because we wanted to give everybody an opportunity to sign up. We've got five different restore projects. So it's not just about the things that we do here on a Sunday because it could be all about the Sunday environment. Believe me, we're not all about the Sunday environment. We're about the things that we're called to do into the city as well. There's tabs that on once a month that feeds um, the homeless and the vulnerably housed. We love that. We love storehouse. In the last month, we've delivered 62 Um, items of furniture into houses around the city. We have Grow Baby that runs. Now, some of you, that's during the week and you're you're not going to be able to be involved. That's, That's fine. We can't do it all. But it's amazing that we find our place. And so my my heartfelt kind of, not plea to you, but get involved. Find your place as part of this community as we move into this city. As we, as new people come to our community, we want them to be welcomed brilliantly. That's my heart. The picture is, it's like somebody coming into your house. 
They're not just coming. You want them when they come in to feel slightly extravagant. It's like, that was amazing. I felt so welcomed. I felt like I was a part of this. Because when people walk into this environment and they haven't been into church for years, can you imagine how that feels? But when somebody sits down, they're like, thank you so much for coming. Can I get a drink for you? Or let me show you over here. Let me take, oh, you, you've brought children with you. Let me take you into a kid's room so that you can meet these kids' leaders. Can you see that we, we are hosting an environment where we are desperate for people to meet Jesus? And so we are excited. So what we're going to do now, rather than doing a ministry time, is I'm going to give you some space to go downstairs. Some of you are signed up on 73 teams already. There's a 74th team for you to join. No, for some of you, you don't need to serve anymore. This is something that you've already caught. But for, the, for other people, it's like you might have been here for one week. I, when I first joined the Vineyard Church, I was there week one. At the end of week one, somehow I'd been signed up for a setup team, and then I served seven years in that same team. It was once a month, and that's what we're looking for. It's just pay your part. So why don't we stop the service? I'm going to pray just in finishing. Jesus, I want to thank you for the example that Nehemiah is to us, that he, is a, that he was a man that followed your call, that you spoke and he went. Lord, I want to thank you for this community that you've blessed us for this space that we meet in, for the people that you're bringing to us. Jesus, we give you this church. It's yours. In Jesus' name, amen.